Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Aladna Harai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Okay. All right. Welcome to HivriaCast episode. Who knows? Again, as always, I have no idea which episode this will be, but I am excited because uh, we have Saul Sudin here today, which is just like absolute pleasure. Thank you it's for now, having me. Of course. It's now the second actual Hevria writer we have had on, which is exciting. And I mean, it's even more exciting to have you on, partly because you were so instrumental in like the whole genesis of our work and like the fact that we're even sitting here right now is like a testament to like our, our us working together. So it's like, it's so awesome to have you. Yeah, it's fun. I'm I'm happy to be here. And it's just, it's funny to me because I feel like I was one of the first friends that you made when you moved to New York. I think you were literally, yeah, maybe one of the first, because um, we had a friend, uh, Rocky Goldstein, who is now an awesome musician. He was then too, but now he's hopefully becoming more known. He's actually been on Hevria, the Hevria sessions, sessions, which you yeah. did. Wow. This is awesome. Okay. Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so yeah, he connected. He was like, there's this guy you got to talk to. And I was like, all right, we'll see. And and then we went to a hookah bar and that was the end of it. It was yeah. awesome. We met, and Best your wife friends is, ever since. What's that? Best friends ever since, <laughs> right. you know, with uh, a fair amount of ribbing. <laughs> so if I come across as mean in this episode, it's it's only because I love Elad so much and we treat each other like it's just rival a, brothers or something. It's just a sign that it's going well. So if you're too nice to me, then we'll know it hasn't gone well. Yeah, <laughs> it, it means I'm faking. It's good. I'm glad. I'm glad we got that out there. Um, and your wife is Elki Sudin, who has also you know been so influential in our lives. You know, obviously as a friend, but also creatively. Um, I just remember when we got here, you guys were like so, um, such like an inspiration for us. Cause we came here. With, what year was that? What year was that? It was, was it 2012? I think. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But or 2011 even. Around that time we hmm. already had started Jewish Art Now, the hmm. organization that we ran for five years that right. had to do with. 21st century Jewish visual art and design. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, we were we were very, very dedicated in the Jewish art scene at that time and trying to unify it globally, trying to change it for the better and get people to focus on new and different stuff. And I mean, I'm happy to say that we were able to connect with so many artists around the world who became really great friends, yourself included. Yeah, I mean, that was an amazing thing. I remember, I mean, that was how, it was part of how, you know, we got connected to, at least I, I was already kind of talking to Matthew Roth at that time, but, you know, it was just kind of naturally gelled all these connections together because you guys were were so active. You were like this fiery energy that helped make all this <laughs> stuff happen, you know? Yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, you know, Do It Chart Now doesn't exist anymore because we just got burnt out. But the truth of the matter is if it made a difference for the time that it existed, then it was all worth it. Yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, I think, I mean, we'll get into the, that, the epilogue in a minute, (laughs) but I think that, you know, one of the things that I always think about with this like Jewish creativity stuff, especially in New York is like anything that has happened now is like part of this kind of line of people that have been trying to make something happen, you know? Oh, absolutely. It it goes in generations. Yeah. And there were people that inspired us who, right. you know, or organizations, I could also say, you know, like the Foundation for Jewish Culture mm-hmm. um, that don't exist anymore. Right. Uh, <laughs> what unfortunately. Was, what was the uh, recording... I forgot the, uh, the record. Ah, I forgot the name. Oh, of it. J Dub. J Dub. Yeah, that was yeah. J Dub was big. Right. Um, and Shem Speed. There was a lot going on in the music scene right. that inspired okay. us, and we made a lot of really lifelong yeah. friends through that scene. Um, it helped you know connect to Punk Jews, the documentary film that I made. Oh my gosh! I'm um, like getting, yeah. There's a, there's great. all these connections that like built from for me, I guess maybe 
2005, 2006 mm-hmm. through 2009, 2010 when Elke and I really started to connect with these people in a bigger way. Um, Elke had her first art show, mm-hmm. um, like a big public art show at that time. And we started throwing events and Jewish Art Now started. What, what, when was this exactly? Uh, 2009 was Elke's first breakout show in February. Okay. And she had four or 500 people show up at a one night only event, which was crazy. And, and then Jewish Art Now kind of evolved out of that as we got more involved in the Jewish Art Salon, which thankfully is still around and has developed and grown. Um, so there are some things that are out there that are really amazing that I highly suggest. I mean, the Jewish art salon is for visual artists, Mm -hmm. uh, but there aren't so many people who are below 40 Mm. who have been involved in it historically. And, and so it's really great to see younger blood like coming into the Jewish art scene and, you know, we continue to try and support that. Can I just say before we go on that I think you have the best radio voice ever, <laughs> and I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> I keep thinking about it. I'm sorry. That's why I keep smiling yeah. when you're talking. I'm like, well, I, well, I thank can't you. get over this. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate that. Um, I take no credit for the voice. It's uh, Of all your accomplishments, your radio voice right now is really what's, what's hitting me. <laughs> I'm <right>. sorry. <laughs> well, when when, like... Howard Stern calls, then I'll feel right. Well, he'll hear this. It'll yeah. be, it'll be good. Right. <laughs> I'm sure Howard is an avid Heverycast listener. You have no idea. Yeah. Heverycast, by the way, sounds like the worst Broadway cast recording ever. Sounds. <laughs> be like, this is the Heverycast recording of Heverya. <laughs> we got all the writers together. Yeah. And we're all and we're all singing. Yeah. You know, Matthew takes his rap solo, mm-hmm. which. Rap solo can't exist. I don't know why I said that, but um, there's, there has to be a better way to say that than rap solo. I just sounded like the most square person ever. Um, and and of course, Liz and Ruchel have their big, you know, back and forth song. Mm. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Anyway, so have a cast. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Stay tuned. Album coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> I um, am so sorry. <laughs> yeah, please cut that out. I had to go. Oh, that's that's <laughs> definitely staying. That that might be the only part we actually keep. I think. But um, anyway, okay. So I would actually, you know, it's it's so interesting because I was thinking about, you know, I remember being in Israel like right, you know, like a year or two before you know we met, and I remember being so inspired by like Shem Speed, all these organizations. Um, that I heard about. Um, and so it's like, it's very interesting to hear kind of your end, how you started earlier and how these things also helped, you know, kind of create what you, what you got into. Like, I'm, I'm curious what actually sparked your desire to start, um, an organization, a Jewish arts organization. Well, um, I mean, I can, the short version is my wife, but the longer version is that, I came from a background where being Jewish was not something that was particularly inspiring. Mm. And in fact, I had a lot of struggles throughout my youth with what Judaism would be to me. And culturally, I was an artist. Religiously, I was a Jew. So outside of school or synagogue life, I wasn't really participating in Judaism, let's Mm say. And... And I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, where I had the option to kind of opt out in a lot of ways Mm. and and spent a lot of time with my band, you know, instead and things like that, or reading comic books, you know, all kinds of escapism. And so when I was in college after, you know, many years of exploring all of these things and getting slightly more inspired by... Rabbi Simcha Weinstein, the comic book rabbi who was the um, rabbi who was sent when I was in my sophomore year to Pratt Institute, the art school that I attended, mm-hmm. um, I suddenly find myself kind of a bit more interested in Judaism. Be- well, I shouldn't say that, actually. I was a bit more interested in Simcha because we could talk about comic books. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily a Jewish thing, but by my senior year, I finally 
got around to making my first Jewish piece of art. Mm. And what was that? Uh, I did a senior thesis film that was a short film. It was actually about 18 minutes long. And it was called The Stetson Pin, and it was based on a real-life experience that I had where I had spent a Shabbat with a friend in southern Brooklyn, and someone had actually stolen my Stetson fedora that my grandmother had bought me when I was 16 and left behind a hat that was similar, but it was a quarter size different. And it had, yeah. Why did they do this? I don't know. But it had a name tag with an address on the inside of the hat. And so my friend and I spent the afternoon returning or going to this address. And then finally, when, when we got there, we... Um, finally, when we got there, we knocked on the door and we met this old woman and she said, Oh, Harry is my husband. And he has, he wasn't at shul today, but let me check his hat box. And she took it down and opened it up. And sure enough, inside was a Stetson fedora, exactly like mine, my size. Mm -hmm. She hands it to me. I hand her Harry's hat. She puts it in the box, puts it away. We walk out. I put on the hat, it fits, but kind of awkwardly. And I realize it's because it's a brand new hat. It's not even my hat. And it has the pin that says Stetson on the side of it that was uh, on the hat when I first got it, Uh like when you first buy the hat. So this was a brand new version of the hat that I had, but in my size, not his size. And it was a mystery that never solved itself. Like there was somehow someone else, I I can only assume there was someone else who went to that synagogue who had Harry's hat in a previous mix up and then took mine in a new mix up. And I ended up with Harry's hat and returned Harry his hat and got a new one in the process. So I used that as a launching point for this short film where I wanted to tell a story of a sort of Baal Teshuva, like a refinding your religion and your comfort with religiosity. Um, and the new hat, this Stetson pin on the new hat, represented this identity where you find something that's brand new, but it's the same as the thing that you've had all along. Mm. And my school, like my professor's, didn't really care for it, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) But I was really proud of it. It was the first time that I did Jewish art in a serious way. Like I was very consciously trying to say something about my religion through Mm -hmm. the art that I was making. And, and that's what you mean by Jewish art. You're saying like that you were, yeah, the art that it doesn't just come from a Jewish place. It's not just inspired by Judaism, but the content itself is directly referencing something Jewish. And so in Jewish art now, we had a few hardline rules that we had defined for ourselves, which were based on Richard McBee of the Jewish Art Salon's rules um, about what is Jewish art, because there are so many ways that you can define Jewish art. This is the eternal question on Hebreacast. We're finally going to resolve it. Well, these aren't definitive by any (laughs) means, but these are the things that Richard had set forth that we base our own conceptions on for Jewish art now Mm -hmm. and Jewish art now is, uh, idea of Jewish art was that it had to be contemporary, meaning it had to be 21st century. So a post millennium piece of art that in style also speaks to a post millennium style. So we weren't covering established Jewish art forms like Yiddish art or Holocaust related art. Mm-hmm. We were trying to put an emphasis on new things that were to us quite exciting and and forced artists potentially like ourselves, Elke and I as artists making art uh, to try and find something new to say. Um, another rule was that it had to be Jewish content, that it couldn't just be a Jewish artist that in fact, Jewish art now highlighted artists who are not Jewish who were making contemporary Jewish art because for whatever reason, they were inspired to go down that road with the work that they were making. And, and so it was really fun to see people really tackle that and, and delve into that process. 
in the same way that you um, the layout of a Talmud page was laid out by a non-Jewish person, mm. like the actual mm-hmm. text and that form that we know with the blocks of you know text in the center and text on the sides all around it and all of that was done by a non-Jewish person. But today, that is the height of how we think of the Talmud. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be Jewish to make Jewish art. Wow. It's beautiful. Yeah. So essentially this, uh, what was the name of the movie again that you made? The Stetson Pin. The Stetson Pin. So that, you feel like that was kind of, that would fit essentially into that, into that structure. Yeah. And you've, and I guess that would be the, that was kind of the seed of, of where Jewish art now started, uh, it, it was the start of my Jewish art journey. Okay. And then my wife had her own journey finding things and her own professors in college who inspired her to stylistically develop and to eventually do something in Jewish content. And that's how she ended up making Hitzers and Chassids, which was an illustration series that she did and then a painting series. Mm-hmm. And that Hitzers and Chassids show was the one that I mentioned in 2009 that got a big att- uh, amount of attention. And that really led to us together kind of trying to do something. And and the Jewish Art Salon didn't have listings of all the Jewish art organizations that existed around the world on their website. They didn't have a uh, website that was promoting upcoming Jewish events or Mm -hmm. reviews of current shows that were going on. And so we decided to create Jewish Art Now at, at first as a magazine kind of to you know talk about these things and write articles and yada yada but then it just became this website so that all of this content could be aggregated mm. and now thankfully the Jewish Art Salon has all of that uh, as part of their own organization and their own website and um, they have a paid membership and all these great things and I highly encourage anyone who is a visual artist who wants to deal in Jewish art to get involved with them. So, yeah, I mean, it would, that, that was the real development process. And, and we just started, you know, figuring out what, what can we do? What can we say? We, you know, build a big social media presence. We, we have the skills to build a website. I have the skills to make videos and take photos. And Elke had skills to do design, graphic design, illustration. We were throwing parties together and just trying to, you know, get a reputation and get people involved and excited. And unfortunately that doesn't necessarily lead to financial solvency. Um, so what, what was the need that you felt besides like, obviously these practical things that were missing, let's say in the Jewish arts line, what, what were, what, what did you feel like was like the core need that you were trying to fill or resolve? Well, I don't want to speak ill of other organizations that, I don't agree with their approach to Jewish art, but there are groups or organizations out there who either historically or contemporarily are not supporting Jewish art today. And they're always looking backwards or they're always trying to figure out how can we shoe in Judaism to someone historical who didn't necessarily care about their Judaism. And I, and I find that fascinating that you would do that. And there's a lot of people um, who you could talk about at length who are amazing artists who have some sort of Judaism in their past. Mm-hmm. But when they outwardly spoke about how they had no interest in being associated with Judaism, then I question why we're supporting that as, you know, uh, um, the highlight of what a Jewish organization can, can put out there as opposed to let's focus on some of these up and coming artists who really deserve it. And there are some international artists that we've been friends with and really tried to show off to a wider base over the years, like Jacqueline Nichols in England or Ken Goldman in Israel, just to name two out of many, many who really deserve to have major shows put on Mm. by international museums. And I mean, it started to happen a a bit over the years, but this, this should have been, you know, something that 
has come to them already by this point in a much bigger way because they're so great and they're so, mm. so inspirational. So you're saying because their content is, is Jewish that they're not given that access or that? Um, yeah, it, it's definitely that um, in a combination with just kind of being more out there. Like, I mean, artists right. are always out there. and So they don't pr- fit in like the Jewish context, like the Jewish institutional context, and they don't fit in like the arti- fine art. Well, um, a, lo- a lot of people context. just don't know what to make of Jewish art. You know, it's only mm. in recent generations that we've even kind of gotten over the hump of sculpture or illustrating a full human body right. and saying that that's okay. Even though there are many historical You're saying as Jews, not as... Yeah, as Jews, that, like, people don't know what to do with that. Like, if you walked into a synagogue in, I don't know, the 70s or 80s, and it was fully illustrated murals on every wall, Mm -hmm. you'd be like, wow, I've never seen that before. Mm. That doesn't exist. We have, like, stained glass of certain symbols. I mean, the symbols have always mm-hmm. lasted and you, you can trace certain Jewish symbols back for thousands and thousands of years, not necessarily even the Star of David, but I'm talking about the Lulav and Etrog, the menorah, right. the shofar, the um, the hands of the Kohen, you know, with spread fingers. Um, those are historically the Jewish symbols. And, and the Star of David is something that developed over time later. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the the resistance against depiction was a big hump to say like, oh, we don't consider sculpture to be a graven image anymore. And it's okay if you want to be a sculptor who is Jewish and make Jewish things. So you're saying the Jewish world is literally just starting to kind of even come to terms with the idea of art being a living part of its culture? Yeah, our art will always evolve and things are always going to change. And I think that Jews like to think that Judaism doesn't also evolve and change at that same rate, but it kind of does. Mm. And I've, you know, seen innumerable different denominations develop during my lifetime you know, thinking about the span of my parents' lifetime or my grandparents' lifetime, what they must have seen, and what we get excited about, you and I, through Hevria, through anything else about Judaism today, mm. it's not the Judaism that existed for them. Right. And that's great, actually. I think that that's really strong and what makes us able to stay Jewish because, frankly, as I mentioned earlier, if, if I had to stick to the Judaism that I was being taught throughout my childhood in various different ways, I, I wouldn't be here right now. I, I wouldn't be identifying strongly with my Judaism. I wouldn't be attempting to make Jewish art. And I, I certainly wouldn't have even gotten to the point where I would get involved in Jewish art and then get burnt out on it because <laughs> I never would have gotten to that in the first place. <laughs> Thank God. Um, so that's really interesting. So, you know, it's so funny because I was literally about to ask you about that. And so that was an amazing transition. But I think it's like, it's so interesting, this idea that, you know, I, I found I find like your story really fascinating because it's what you're describing essentially is like how you, your reconnection to Judaism was like inherently connected to art, right? And... It sound it, and it seems to me like you know what we're discussing in terms of Hebrew and in terms of Jewish art now. And people, you know, like you're saying that things evolve and change, and we have a new, new Jewish world in a lot of ways. It seems to me like you know a lot of times people get worried that these things will, will turn people away from Judaism or have them access it in the wrong way or whatever it is. Sure, but it, <laughs> right. But what's <laughs> interesting is that for people like you and me, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but at least that's what it sounds like on your end is that like. It's just so, it wouldn't it be Judaism for us if that there wasn't that outlet, if there wasn't that connection. Absolutely. And I think nothing was more indicative over the last several years of me being involved in Jewish art in that way than the film that I co-produced, Punk Jews. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's in the title alone, but the, 
Do you want to like just describe it real quick? Sure. Uh, Punk Jews was a documentary film that came out in 2012, and it was about people who were expressing their Judaism in unique and unconventional ways through art and activism. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a film that project that was started by Jesse Zuckman and Evan Kleinman, who were also just questioning their Judaism, trying to figure out what Jewish meant to them. And they started hanging out at Cholent parties, um, like Thursday Night Cholent, which is still going on, but not as big as it once was, I suppose. Um, and and these were parties where people who were moving away from religious Judaism would go to vent. It was there were places where people who were not Jewish or had very little Jewish knowledge would come to like learn more about Judaism. It was a big mixture, which is why it was called Cholent. Mm-hmm. And I met the filmmakers there, and together we started um, talking about film as a connection through my wife. And ultimately, from the five-minute sort of uh, pilot version of the project that they had already put together, I said, I really want to be involved in this project. And I came on as the additional collaborator, and we made this film together. And I'm I'm just, I'm so thankful with everything that came out of that project. Um, The friendships with Evan and Jesse and the way that we got to tour the world and talk about what it means to be a punk Jew and how we identify with Judaism as something that can be explored in these almost unexpected ways. And and one of the one of the pitches that I would always give because I love connecting things back to the Torah text itself, which is what my Judaism is rooted in. I think that's what we're all rooted in. But maybe like I, I drive the narrative angle more than most probably. Um, that there are innumerable examples throughout Jewish history in our texts of people rallying against the system mm. to to, you know, whether it's the Midrash of Abraham smashing the idols in his father's shop. That was pretty uh, punk. Yeah, very punk, you know, <laughs> literally destroy the system, smash it down, you know, all that. <laughs> um, through, you know, things like the the Hanukkah story where, you know, hmm. you have a, a physical war and uprising going on. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to call it political, but it was political. Um and and punk as a movement is inherently political, driven by the idea that we're going to rally against the system. And and I think Jews are also just meant to live among and rally against a system. Like, we don't live in a world where we exist in our own homeland, our own kingdom, to the extent that we think of when we think historically or in the future in possible messianic terms. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a wonderful state of Israel today, but it's a complicated state of Israel. And so even within that, even where we have this, um, you know, Zionism and, and this belief that we should have a country today, there's all kinds of opinions on what that means and how it exists. So that's the natural punk Jewish ethos, I suppose. Right. And so we were connecting that then to how, like, we feel... Oh, right, that uh, art and Judaism You forgot connect. what we were talking about. I was just got caught up in the punk Jews thing. Yeah. I'm so- I was just like, we're punk Jews. I love right. it. You're like, I'm on board. Let's go. <laughs> Let's Out go. in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the system. Yeah. Is uh, that what we were talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Screw the system? <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> we knew we'd get here eventually. Right. Uh, obviously. <laughs> um, so let me say flat out right now. That uh, I hate you all, and no, God, no, I would never do that. I'm the only uh, one in the room, so I, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, this is this is the point where I break it to you. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I knew that would come eventually too. So yeah, we're good. But but yeah, it's just you know, I think I think that we have to we have to acknowledge that we shouldn't just live the status quo. And and we have to question constantly, and that's that's the art angle for me. Okay, so you're saying like that's the that's 
You're saying that's like a part of art in a sense? It's a part of art, and I also think it's inherently a part of Judaism, right. which is why I believe so strongly in being a Jewish artist. Right. Yeah, well, that's my religion. Wow. That's really powerful. I mean, I think... I just kind of love that because I think, you know, I was thinking recently, and I think I might have mentioned it on one of our other podcasts, but just, you know, I think... Sometimes I think that there's validity, in a sense, to the people who are worried that art is going to affect, like, the audience in a quote-unquote negative way, you know. Because it's, like, the point of art, right? It's meant to affect people. It's meant to make them, not to necessarily make them change their lives, but meant to make them think about their lives differently from a different angle. Absolutely. Right? I mean, if 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 someone sees a piece of art and they feel nothing for it, that's the biggest insult possible. Right. And if you create a piece of art, the most heartbreaking thing is when no one responds to it. And I'm not an artist who's looking for negativity by any means. And as much as I'm kind of hardline in certain views that I have, I really don't try to be a controversial person. Um, I don't like argumentation. I, I think that ultimately there's a gray area where we can all get along. Uh, if if you sit two people down in a room like you and I are right now, I mean, you did just tell me that you hate me, but yeah, but I was joking. <laughs> oh, okay. And and you're my brother, and I can do that. Beautiful. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but I wouldn't, I would never say that to a stranger that I met for the first time. You know, you have to you have to get to know a person really right, well first saying, before you can how, hate them, right? <laughs> <laughs> So you have to love someone to hate them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but that's the thing, you know, love, hate, these are strong emotions. And if a piece of art doesn't move you in any way, it's, it's, I guess it's failed, you know? Yeah. So, so that's what I'm trying to do now with my art. I want to make more things that speak to who I am as a person and not worry so much about what other people might think of me and, and to make things that are really touching on the emotions that I, I feel strongly about. So right now I've been working on a photography series called Body Narratives, mm-hmm. and it's a depiction of various people who have traumas in emotional, physical, and mental ways, and they're willing to share that real-life experience with me. So we talk for like an hour and then I come up with creative ideas for what I could depict in a single photograph mm. of them and and then we shoot it. And I, about a little over a month ago, premiered the series at a, a gallery in Chelsea and that's where my head is at right now with my own work beyond just like freelance film work that I, that I do all the time. I remember uh, that being like just kind of being around for the genesis of not necessarily that like, I don't think, I think I was just kind of told afterwards about the idea, but I remember being around as probably as that decision was being made. And I remember it being really like intense for you, you know, because, and I don't know how like personally want to get with it, but like, I, I, I do remember like there was kind of this transition period where you were kind of really working to let go of whatever came before yeah. to get to that place. Absolutely. Because ultimately this photography, as opposed to filmmaking, which is a very collaborative media, uh, this photography project was very solitary, or mm. it would become very um, personal for the person that I was collaborating with in that one-on-one situation, and and for myself as well. As well, I, I would share personal things about myself while we would shoot because they would be sharing so much with me, and it, it was almost like therapy. Mm. And, and beyond that on the emotional side was the fact that I, I had never put myself out there as someone who was going to do art that included, um, nudes because I had my own personal shame around what Jewish art was supposed to be. Like if we have such a big hump to get over in terms of the acceptance of Jewish content, the acceptance of it being contemporary and speaking to a new voice and speaking to perhaps a younger audience as well. 
Um, there are innumerable things out there that were standing in the way over the years. And I didn't want to lump another thing on there with their, where Jew, like my, my concern was before was I want Jews to appreciate this as art and I want artists or art lovers to appreciate this as Jewish. Mm. And now I want everyone to just sort of see me from me. And I don't want to even have to worry about the labels so what it's, brought, it, what, it's just, I'm stripping off a lot with this project. What, what brought on that transition? Like where, what took you from one to the next? Well, I, I felt energized after we finished touring and promoting punk Jews. Um, I felt like I learned a lot about myself in the process. And I also learned that I, I wanted to have my next project be something that, that came from my own idea. Because as much as I love punk Jews, I didn't create it. And I, I was, you know, involved in any number of aspects of it as the project grew and evolved and got out into the world. Um, but I can't claim ownership of it ultimately. And I, I wanted, I wanted that feeling when, when it's a seed that blossoms inside of you and, and then comes out into the world. And when I premiered this gallery show a month ago, I was feeling that pretty much for the first time. Like I've done plenty of film screenings, but it's a different experience to have people walk into a room and walk around and look at your work in a way that's not time-based. And how were you able to let go of the concerns of like Jews seeing as art, art uh, artists seeing it as Jewish. Like what, what helped you do that? Like what, you know what I'm saying? Cause I feel like in theory you could have done. I, mean, I, I have, I have a great support system in my wife I'm and saying, my friends. Right. But I mean, why, why did it happen? You know what I'm saying? Why did it help me? No. Why, why did you go from, from doing like, because you could have in theory done the like a show that was all yours, right? That was but without pushing that envelope. You're right. So right. right. So I, I think that it's because it's who I really am, and as much as I might have been denying that previously, mm. um, like I said, it, it came from a place of shame more than anything else that I was denying myself this. I see. So it wasn't and like a change so I had in to, philosophy. It was like, no. I just I had to work past it. You know, I, these are the things that I would think about when I had my private time, I see. um, when I would just quietly, I don't know, sit out in nature with a notebook and think about who am I as a person? What is religion? What is art? And what can I make that's going to make something meaningful in this world? And, and so I just, I, I wasn't able to share that previously, mm. but, but now I am. And it's, it's felt like a real evolution that has been healthy for me. And look, I'm in my early 30s. If, if I don't do something now that really takes me to the next level, then I was fearing that I would sit at the same status quo for too long. Mm. Do you feel like you're still expressing your Judaism in this way, I mean, again, because I, I guess you're saying like... You yeah, want to so it's not Jewish art in right. in the way that Jewish art now or Richard McBee would say it's Jewish art. Um, so I don't advertise it as Jewish art and I I wouldn't put that label on it. But, but I do think that the series came from the fact that I was previously doing so much Jewish art and and has some sort of inspiration at the seat of it from my Judaism. But I, I wouldn't label it and say, this is Jewish art because I'm working with people who are not Jewish necessarily in the photographs who are telling stories that have nothing to do with Judaism. And when I have had people who participate as a subject in the series who are Jewish and who want to tackle something about their Judaism, obviously I'm very happy to, to deal with that. In fact, I photographed one guy in Los Angeles who has his name 
tattooed on his arms in black light tattoos. Oh yeah. And I photographed that under a black light and it was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Was a Jewish guy you're saying? Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, that's really interesting. Like, I guess I feel like that's when I almost feel like that, that to me is like an indicator. And, you know, I'd love to hear what you think of this, but like that to me is an indicator of sometimes how the, even the idea of Jewish art can be, it doesn't have to be, but it can be restrictive in an unhealthy way to an artist in the sense that, you know, they can feel like here are these boundaries, for example, like that, or not even boundaries, but like rules that like, I, this would be explicitly Jewish or this and this and this, like, um, for it to be interpreted that way. And I, I almost feel like it's unfortunate that you can't like say that it's Jewish art. You know what I'm saying? Like I get no, it's why not, you, it's not, you don't think because so. Because there's nothing wrong with saying it's not Jewish art, but I'm a Jewish artist. Right. That's not contradictory at all. Right. But, I, you know, they're two separate things. But don't you feel though if, that because you're a Jewish artist doing art like it's it's inherently comes from a jewish place right i mean it comes from your neshama right i mean yeah so i mentioned that it you know there's a spark of it inside of it but the end result is not jewish art right because i'm not tackling jewish content through it right i see that's really interesting i guess that's why i get the reason i was saying like get concerned is almost like or unhealthy like i could see it as unhealthy like is how some people try so hard to make sure that they still stay within those boundaries and don't realize that you can be a Jewish artist doing arts, right? Like, yeah, I almost feel like that's people like they think I'm a Jew. I have to do Jewish art, right? Right. But there are only so many venues, unfortunately for Jewish art. And I wish there were more, I wish there was more support. Uh, but I also don't want to feel like I'm stuck making exclusively Jewish art for the rest of my life just because I am Jewish and I am an artist. So we should all feel the opportunity to explore. That's what being an artist is. And if I was not able to explore, Mm. I would not be an artist. So it's a double-edged sword, I suppose. Yeah. I'm sure there are times through your writing that you write things that have nothing to do with Judaism and, and you just feel comfortable putting that out there because you're expressing yourself, not because you feel like, Oh, everything that is under the Alad Neharai, Pop Chassid, Hevriya, whatever label has to, you know, be exactly this. Yeah. I mean, I didn't (laughs) want to invade too much with my own experience, but I thought that was the whole time you were talking, I felt, very much like I really identified with a lot of the stuff that you were you were describing, you know, because I think I also I started off like with Pop Chassid, like it was Hasidus and movies, right? And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna somehow continue this for the you know for out for a minute, right, however right. long. And like at a certain point, I was just like, I can't do this. Like I have to, you know. And it was very interesting. And I think like obviously the evolution of that was like, you know, I almost part of the re- like this would be like a secondary reason I created Hebrew was to have a place where I could stick my Jewish writing and still feel this freedom on my, like in my own sphere as well. Um, My point being like that I, I, I really, I, I really think like you're touching on something so powerful that like this idea of, it's just, I think it's really, it's really dangerous to put ourselves in, in too strong of boxes. Like, Oh, I hate, know? I hate boxes. I'm, I think, forgive me if I'm misquoting, but there was a, a quote from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which is my favorite quote from him that was labels are for shirts. Right. Yeah. And that, to, you know, I also have a button like a lapel button that I wear on one of my jackets that, that says labels are for jars. You know, it's the the point being that when we put ourselves into a jar and we label it, that we are that one thing. 
But how many times have you taken a jar and scrubbed off the label and put something else in it because it's a reusable jar? Hmm. So we are that reusable jar. The thing that we started out as is hopefully not at all what we end as. And I think that's the point of Judaism also. You know, we're meant to better the world. We're meant to grow as people and have some sort of collective responsibility to improve things. So we shouldn't sit around and be complacent and we shouldn't be the one thing. You know, that to me is like the worst curse that you start and end as the same thing. Mm. Uh, that's, that's like living in some sort of David Lynchian hell to me. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's like the first thing they teach you in a fiction writing class is like, if the character ends up in the same place at the end of the story, it's not really a story. You can end up back where you started, but forever changed. That's the Joseph right, if Campbell not concept. Changed, if they're not changed is what I mean, I guess, is yeah, that it's not a story. Exactly. Right. So... So, you know, we should never live our lives that way. And I'm a very narrative-minded person, so I live by some of those rules, thinking about Campbell a lot and thinking about how the Torah also follows those guidelines. Like, to me, when I think of inspiration from my Judaism for who I am, I'm not just thinking like, oh, how can I make a grogger that's more interesting? Because I'm not a industrial designer and I'm not thinking about objects in that way. What I am thinking about is stories and the narratives and how we can grow as people and how we can create things that are about growth and inspiration. So I don't even look to Betzalel necessarily as the creator in the Torah, uh, even though he was the one who built the Mishkan essentially and made all the objects and th- or maybe Moshe built the objects. I'm not sure. I'm not a... I'm not a rabbi. Don't quote me on these things. (laughs) Uh, My knowledge is good, but not great. But my point is that that I look to to two creators in in the Torah, not B'Tzalel necessarily, but to God itself and and to Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu. And the God thing is, is endlessly fascinating to me. I can pick apart the first chapter of Genesis for the rest of my life and I'll never get to the bottom of it and be satisfied. Mm. Um, but the, the fact that it has all these various different ways of using Selim Elohim and Selmenu and these words that are about being in the image of God and, and what form of God is that it uses different names of God and it, you know, it's plural, it's singular, like it's all these things where we have to try and figure out, who are we? Mm. And I, I'm inspired by that first chapter of Genesis because of that complication and because the artistic process is laid out in the creation of the world, you know, from, from seed to rest, basically, mm. when you have to stand back and look at your work and say, where am I with it? And I think that's a thing that's taken for granted for a lot of the time where Jews celebrate Shabbat and many other religions have a concept of the Sabbath but when you keep an orthodox version of Shabbat, you are really dedicating yourself to separating from the world as we know it and stepping back. And, and that doesn't have to be an orthodox way. I'm using orthodox as a lowercase o, not, a big, you know, not the like you have to have chillant every week. <laughs> um, th- this, is, this is the idea that you, in whatever way matters for you step back and look at the world and look at yourself and what we take for granted as i was saying is god the last thing that god created in the creation process was the idea of rest and the idea of stepping back that had to be created that's what the creation of the seventh day is so it's not that it ended with man and yay the process you know evolved um the next day rest was created. So we're all stepping back and looking at who we are constantly, hopefully. Mm. And, and I think about that endlessly. I could just keep rambling like I am, uh, about that for the next four hours. Um, but then also, uh, Moses is the other creator who really fascinates me in the Torah because it's really his story. We call it the five books of Moses. Mm. And I have a, potentially um, 
heretical view of Moses in the sense that I see it as the journey of someone who was born with immense flaws. Hmm. Like there are Midrashim about how Moses was born glowing, how Moses was born already with a Brit Mila. But, you know, there's all these ideas that kind of deify him in a certain way. Not to say that Moses was God, but just that it makes him into something great from the beginning. He didn't have to earn it at any point. That's not how I see Moses. Moses, to me, was a guy who the first time we see him as an adult person, like the first time he's identified, he has a name, he's existing in the world, and he goes out into the world in any way, shape, or form, he murders someone. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, he walks out, he looks left, he looks right, there was no man, and there's so many things you could say about that line, and then... And then he kills the Egyptian taskmaster who's being a Jewish slave. Hmm. And, and so he has anger. He has frustration. And the reason why he's the most humble person that ever was or will be, the reason why he's the greatest, you know, rabbi, sage, whatever you want to call it, of all time, is because he transcended his anger and his... Frustration with the world greater than any person. That's what his humility is. It's not that he started at zero humility and moved to a hundred humility. It was like he 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 went from like negative (laughs) forty to to a hundred. You understand? So so someone who's born humble, that's great. But it's not interesting. It's like the hero's journey we're talking about. So what sense does that make him a creator? I'll get to that. So, so he, so he transcends Mm -hmm. and he improves himself and he leads the Jewish people. And it's that self-improvement that eventually leads to his hand being in the carving of the 10 commandments Mm. after he smashes the first one out of anger. (laughs) He, He still had a long way to go. And, and then he also was involved in the creation of objects for the Mishkan uh, that only he apparently knew, you know, the correct way to do it. Um, So that's part of his creation, but it's not just creation of, of things. It's creation of a lifestyle. Hmm. It's creation of living Judaism. And that shouldn't be discounted as creation because, you don't have to create an object, you know, in order to be an artist, in order to be a creator. And there are people who say, oh, I'm not a creative person, but I'm sure, you, you know, maybe you have kids and you <laughs> instill that child with, you know, hopefully a good life. And, and you certainly created that child. So we all have the ability to create. It's just a question of how. And what do we instill it with? And so I absolutely see Moses as a creator of the Jewish people. You know, he, he, not on the level of God, but on the level of kind of guiding, mm-hmm. guiding it, you know, really raising the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then of course, tragically, you know, he ultimately does not defeat his anger in life and he hits the rock and he doesn't get to go into Israel. And... Mm-hmm. So he misses out on perfection. Hmm. So it's, 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 it's a tragedy, ultimately. Um, and I, I, I think that that's just that much more inspiring, actually, <laughs> because he's flawed and he continues to be flawed, which is something that I can relate to. <laughs> you know, if, if he perfected himself, if, the, if we're talking like a, a Jesus story, mm-hmm. then that's less relatable for me. So how does that all then connect to this? This started right with the discussion. I'm still keeping track of discussions, but the, this was started with the discuss, saying like that we thought that labels were dangerous, right? Yeah. Um, so how does that then the description of of God as a creator, Mo, Moshe as a creator? How does that connect to that? Well, both of those things are creators that were labeled by other people. Mm-hmm. I think that that's interesting. That what is God's name? Right. God's name is 
the names that we assign to it. And what is Moshe's name? Moshe is the name that was given to him by Bat Paro. So, you know, they lived up to or they continue to either transcend or exist in the form that we know them. But that's mm-hmm. not the only thing that they are. Wow. That's great. Yeah. And so if I remember once uh, Rivka coming home, my wife Rivka coming home and uh, from when we were in Israel and she was learning in yeshiva and, or in seminary at Mayanot and she was like, the rabbi today gave like, he was teaching Tanya and he goes, and she, he gave this great idea and essentially he was talking about the, this idea of like the essence, that there's an essence to God. And she was saying like, he, he asked us, you know, we tend to think of God as like how we relate to him. But what about, don't you think that there's a part of God that none of us relate to that, you know, exists beyond that, you know? And I think what you're describing is so that obviously and it's, it's such a deep idea, such a Kabbalistic, Hasidic, et cetera, et cetera idea. Like, and I guess, I mean, I feel like this is what I'm getting from what you're saying is that it would be such a shame if we didn't realize we have that part of ourselves as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I call you Elad. Right. That's the name your parents gave you, I assume. And that's the name that a lot of people know you by. But to your wife, you are her husband. To your kids, your dad or Abba or whatever they call you. To a lot of people out on the internet, you're known as Pop Chassid. You have labels that are either self-assigned or have been given to you by others. And you respond to probably all of those names, I assume. Yeah. People call out Pop Chassid. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think, and I think that really then takes us to that point of like, why, why does it matter for an artist to be careful not to let the boxes hold, even if they're willing to be into a box, like understanding and being aware that there is always something deeper going on. And that, and it's in a sense, I would argue, and is is part of their job is to express that inexpressible part of themselves that, that doesn't have a label, you know? I feel like that's what you're doing with your photography, you know? Well, uh, I'm trying. And, right, right. And I certainly am happy to, you know, explore whatever labels I can give myself, or perhaps in the process people will start labeling me as something against mm-hmm. my will, and it'll either be something that I'll like or I won't like, and that's <laughs> just something you have to live with perhaps. But... Uh, I am by working on a project like this, trying to see what else I can find, what other names do I have and what other forms of myself can exist in, in a way that's ultimately fulfilling. Yeah. It's beautiful. Is there anything we can plug for you? Yeah, we've reached uh, 58 <laughs> minutes. So. Um, Your art show, I guess, right? Is it still it, up at the gallery? No, the, art, okay. the show is over, but uh, I would definitely encourage people to connect with me online, um, solsudan.com, and to check out you know, my social media at smsudan. That's my first two initials, S-M, and my last name, Sudin, S-U-D-I-N. And you on Facebook and Twitter? Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Mm. Um, you can also follow an Instagram for just my photography series, which is at Body Narratives. Mm. And if you're interested in seeing Punk Jews, the film, it was always a DIY project, so it's actually out on YouTube for anyone to watch for free now. Uh, just search for Punk Jews on YouTube. You can even watch additional segments and scenes. And if you're interested in connecting with Jewish Art, you know, look up the Jewish Art Salon, jewishartsalon.com.org. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Um, and and you can even look at the old Jewish Art Now site that hasn't been updated in <laughs> like a year, uh, jewishartnow.com if you want. 
I'm going to throw in one more plug. Yeah, go for it. Hevria.com slash Saul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I write for Hevria. We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> we did. We mentioned it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a minor point. Right. See, these are, these are all the labels, though. Like, exactly. I, I didn't start this interview by saying, like, I'm Saul and I'm a filmmaker. Right. Because uh, through the course of it, we organically started talking about the fact that I make films, the fact yeah. that I ran an organization or co-ran an organization, the fact that I write, the fact that I f- do photography. Like, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm a Jew <laughs> and whatever else you want to figure out, just figure it out, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. It's so good, Saul. It's, uh, let's do it again sometime. Thank you. Recorded, unrecorded. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Alad Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash hevriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Oh, God,